You ever get a letter in the mail? It feels like these days you just get text messages and emails and things like that, but a good old-fashioned letter, there's something beautiful about that. And I know that John and Annie Bidwell had letters that went back and forth, and if you tour the Bidwell Mansion, you can actually see a few of those on display. There's nothing like a handwritten letter, it seems like. It's so personal. And so I wrote a letter to my, my friend Joseph, Joseph Watson. Maybe you've seen him or, or heard about him. He's a YWAM missionary, uh, and he's currently in Chile. So I wrote, wrote this letter to him last night. I'm just going to read it to you so you can think about letters for a minute. Dear Joseph, blessings from your Birchie family in Chico. Even the three dogs send their blessing and miss your face. We are so thankful for the role that you have in our lives and you continue to encourage us with your Facebook posts and your stories about what's happening there in Chile. I've been thinking more and more about how you and I discovered how that song, that duet from The Greatest Showman, really could be what the Father God sings to us and what we might actually sing back to him. It's remarkable how as humans, it feels like a committed relationship with God seems really impossible, almost as impossible as rewriting the stars. But we do know and we believe that God carries the heavy end of the couch in his relationship with us. You might consider playing that song for your DTS students this week and ask them to picture themselves as that female voice and imagine that God is singing that male part of the duet. Now, as to your questions about joining you on a missions adventure, we're still praying about the timing and leading of the Holy Spirit to join you. And we'll let you know what we feel like the Lord is speaking to us about a future trip with you. So say hello to me, to Noah from the Bay Area, and Brian, who used to be on staff here at YWAM Chico, there in Chile with you. The church here in Chico is growing and learning to love God's word and send their love to you. We're hopeful to find a time to visit you when you are in Nashville or when you can visit here in Chico again. Love, Andrew. So there in that little letter, I just gave you all of the pieces of what the Bible would call an epistle, a letter. And yet, can you imagine 2,000 years from now reading this and wondering, what is the greatest showman? What is a Facebook post? Who are those dogs? Should we imitate Andrew by having three dogs of our own? <laughs> You could see the difficulty of reading a letter that happened in a culture that perhaps you're not familiar with 2,000 years later. And yet, that's the challenge we have with the letters in the New Testament. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, my letter is not inspired probably by God. It is not profitable for much. Um, but it is a love letter from myself to my friend Joseph, and I've been texting with him this morning. He's been sending me pictures of what's going on there in Chile and the work that he's doing as he helps people to learn about their identity in Christ. And that's one of the things that the letters in the Bible help us to learn. And so we're going on this journey, Tammy and I. This is Tammy Smith. Good morning, everyone. And we, are, we have been at this for 12 weeks now. This is our week 12 together, you and I. And this is the big picture, experiencing the whole story of the Bible, giving you an overview. Why? Because once the calendar flips over, middle of next month, we're going to teach you all how to study the Bible. Now, some of you are starting to squirm about this. I've heard from a few of you that you're afraid you might have to talk to your neighbor or something like that. And it is true, we may have you talk to your neighbor a little bit. So get into a little bit of a chatty mood, but I guarantee you, that this is going to be a blessing, and you are going to absolutely love learning Bible study. And I've got all these technological things that I'm going to do with the screen that I'm very excited about interacting with you, and we want you to interact with us today. So we've got the handout for you to fill, be able to, to write notes. If you didn't get one, there's one at the door. Also, if you want to use your smartphone, we would love for you to join us in texting um, or downloading the app. So take a look at that QR code right there if you want to just be able to Scan that, log in there, or you can download the Polling Everywhere app. And my little code is andrewburchie959, andrewburchie959. It's not 
fancy. It's just what they gave me. So there's that. We'll take a second here so that you can maybe pop on there and we can kind of get you going on um, what's happening. So, and we get to use this cool thing that your dad helped to build. That's pretty neat if you didn't catch that. I was involved with Justin for years as he was in Boy Scouts and then my dad helped with the project. Who knew? God knew that I was going to be able to to be able to use it. So super exciting. I was looking for a handheld mic. We were trying to hide it in our drawer, but I don't oh, see Oh yeah, it. that walked away. I'll get it for you. I need a mic. Oh, he already has it. Perfect. So before we dive into the letters, which is the next section of the Bible that we're doing today, we are going to do a memory challenge. So last week, Bree, my daughter, was up here. She's the same one that was on the piano today. Um, and Hunter was on the drums. It's really exciting having my kids up here. Um, Anyway, I just wanted to thank Bree that she came up and she reviewed all the genres that we're trying to get into memory. She did that last week. And I have a brave volunteer this morning. I have Ben Feather. <laughs> he has volunteered to walk us through the key kingdoms that are in this big picture of the Bible. So, is it on? Okay, good job. Yes. So Ben is trying this by memory. He has some notes here, but he knows it too. Okay, so yes, my name is Ben, and I'm going to kind of be walking you through the order in which the technically ten, the kingdoms, who they fell to. So first we have Canaan. Fun fact, I'm willing to bet lots of you already know, Canaan actually became Israel, leading to Israel dividing itself into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. (laughs) Um, like dominoes, the actual kingdom of northern Israel fell to Assyria, right. leading, and then both Assyria and the southern kingdom of Judah fall to Babylon. Babylon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eventually, Babylon falls to Persia, increasing Persia's size. Um, then came Greece. Yes, yes. Of course, causing the fall of Persia. And last but not least, Rome, absorbing Greece, ending the metaphoric fish-eat-smaller-fish battle. <laughs> and what was the kingdom that they were enslaved in? Oh, I forgot. It's okay. Oh, I skipped that. <laughs> it's okay. No. Don't worry about it. Egypt. I know you know it. Uh, I skipped. Um, Egypt actually enslaved the Israelites for a little over 400 years. Awesome. So awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. Okay, I think that's off. I don't know if that's off. Um, I'm so proud of him. And what I love is that he is modeling. It doesn't have to be polished. We are all learning this together. But Ben actually wrote out that script himself about and to learn all that. So super proud of him for modeling this to us. And I just wanted to to put in a plug for memory work. I know that's hard, but I think there is such great value in it. Um, I really want to encourage us to be learning the genres the kingdoms, those main events on our timeline that we keep showing you every week, and the books of the Bible. If you can take on one, awesome, then challenge yourself to the next. If you're ready for all four, go for it. And the reason that we're encouraging you to do this is because we think they are great tools for you to take ownership of this big picture, this story of the Bible. Our ultimate goal is that you could say the story of the Bible in about 10 minutes if you were asked. And part of saying it also highlights where, what do I not know as well that I want to get to know? And you keep reviewing, keep reviewing. So a couple slides I just wanted to mention again is that Ben did all of those main kingdoms that we had talked about. We also wanted to bring back the fish slide because that was just a reminder that these kingdoms gobbled each other up. And the four represent also, the next slide shows Daniel, if we remember, when we did the prophecy, uh, the books of the prophets, Daniel had prophesied about these four major kingdoms, which we now know to have been Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And so those are the last four. So if you can remember Israel, Egypt, Assyria, and then those last four, you have those main kingdoms down. Okay, I think, oh, I know. 
I forgot. Next week, okay, so we've done the genres and we've done the kingdoms. I need a brave volunteer for next week to do the timeline events. And if you don't have them all, I'll work with you. It's fine. But please, if you are interested, please come and see me after the service. Ben was an awesome example of someone that can be brave and do it. I know you're out there. Come and see me and there is a prize. So let's take a look at the bookshelf on the screen. And what you're going to see is the Old Testament on the left, the New Testament on the right. Now this is only the New Testament right here. So if you can look at the screen and you'll see in the Old Testament we have a, a pattern. 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. Remember hearing that before, right? And one of the reasons for having a memory device like that is to remember, okay, if I'm going to memorize the first five books, there are five. And then there are 12 in history, and then five poetry, five major prophecy, and then 12 minor prophets, right? And so that's a helpful uh, tool. This is on our website, by the way, if you want to download it to be able to remember these things. Right. And so we have the New Testament up there as well, but we also have it modeled here right now in our bookshelf. We've put the bookshelf together to remind you that the Bible is a library of books. There are 66 total, 39 in the Old Testament, and 27 in the New. So our chant for the New Testament is, if you know it, say it. We're trying to learn this together. Four, Four one, one, one. Four books that are the Gospels. One book of history, it's our church history, the book of Acts, 21 letters, all of these blue books here, and then one final book of prophecy, which is the book of Revelation. So hopefully you are starting to get those down. Right. Last week, we focused on the book of Acts, that church history book, and we saw that the good news, the gospel, if you will, about Jesus coming as the Savior is not just for the Jewish people. It actually gets expanded for non-Jews or what the Bible would call Gentiles. And this is such good news for us. Right. And so the whole shift of the Bible has changed. The focus is no longer on Israel. It is now on the followers of Jesus, the church, people from many different nations coming together in the kingdom of God. So this week's genre, these blue books right here, the letters, or they're oftentimes called epistles, mm -hmm. just another word for letter. Now these are written by church leaders across the Roman Empire, and these letters are going back and forth to help to encourage, to advise, to correct the other leaders and other churches. Right. And there's 21 of them. We said that in our chant, all of these blue books. And the way we've organized here on our shelf is this upper shelf has Paul's letters, and this lower shelf has what are known as the general letters. So it's important to understand that these letters were largely written during the time of Acts, that church history that we learned this week. So you can actually look at most of these letters and see where they fit within this church history book. Right. And so just like in the Old Testament, when we encouraged you when you were reading the books of the prophets to also be reading the history books, it's important to know what's going on in history, right? Because then you understand why the prophets had the message that they did. So just like that, you want to be reading the letters with the history book that we have in the New Testament, the book of Acts, because then you understand better why the message is what it is in these letters, what was going on. And one of the resources we have on our website is the slides from last week when we talked about Acts and we showed you Paul's missionary journeys. They're there. A lot of these letters are Paul's. And so if you can study that and see when did he visit these different cities that became these churches that he later wrote to, that can be helpful. All right, if you've got your smartphone and you've logged in already, you can play along with us here. The quiz question is, how are the letters arranged in our Bible? How are they arranged? Are they arranged chronologically from the date of the writing? Are they arranged the length, by the length, longest to shortest? Are they alphabetically according to the Greek alphabet? Or are they randomly because they, someone just pulled them out of a hat? All right, so we've got some responses coming in right here. Hmm. Oh, there's lots of guessing going on, Tammy. There is a lot of guessing going on. So 
Most of you, I'm just watching the graph come in here, 48% of you said it's chronologically, or 51% now, says chronologically. 25% said it's length, and then the rest are the other two responses. But the real answer, the right answer is actually B, which is length. They are actually arranged longest to shortest. We're going to tell you more about that in a minute, but I'm glad to stump you once uh, again no, with a hard quiz question. So before we go more into that in the order and the arrangement, we wanted to review our timeline. Today we are not bringing people out on stage, and we're doing that on purpose because we also think it's valuable to be able to use a graphic and have some practice with that. So we're zooming in on the part of our timeline that is just the New Testament. For those of you who are taking on those memory challenges, this is a great place to start because there's only five main events. So let's review what those are. We have year zero. Jesus being born. He's at hinge point between BC and AD. Then we have roughly the year 30. So AD 30 is the crucifixion and resurrection. Same year, just 50, year, 50 days later is Pentecost. That's the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. In the year AD 70, we have that second temple that is destroyed by the Romans this time. And then in AD 95, Revelation read in and the close of the New Testament. That could possibly be a late date, but all that to say that this, this section of our timeline is less than 100 years, less than a century. Right, so we have 21 letters. And where do they fit on the New Testament timeline? Next slide is going to show you where we think they fit. And you'll see that most of these books are happening before the destruction of the temple in AD 70. They're also being written before 67 and 68 when Paul dies and Peter dies. And so we've got the bulk of the New Testament finished there. And then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and of course Revelation. But we're not really covering that today. That's next week. That's written by John. And so kind of get a picture on where, th where we think things fell as far as dating. We actually have a chart on our website that shows the chronology of our letters too, if you guys want to look at that. So we want to pause for a moment, and we're going to talk about this event on our timeline, the destruction of the temple, because it's not really mentioned in any of these genres that we've been talking about. So why is it even on our timeline? So let's review first what we do know about the temple. We know that the first temple was built by Solomon way back in the 900s BC, and it existed until 586 BC when Babylon came in and, and took down Judah. They destroyed the temple, right? Then when Persia took over Babylon. Thank you, Ben, for all the good review of these kingdoms. He, the king, released the, the Jewish people to go home and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. That was on in 516 BC. So then that second temple, which later becomes known as Herod's temple, right. is around for 586 years until it's destroyed in AD 70. So for those of you who love numbers, Here it comes. memorable fact, 586 BC, that first temple is destroyed. After it's rebuilt, 586 years until it is destroyed a second time. That's pretty interesting, actually. I didn't know that. I did this not week. realize I was that. Really excited. So when I found now, it. why is this one of our timeline events? Because it's not even in the Bible, is it? So actually. It is because Jesus himself prophesied about it. So he actually does this in both Mark and Matthew. I'm going to read you the verses from Matthew 24, 1 and 2. It says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all of these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So in AD 70, when Titus and the Roman legions, they besieged Jerusalem, they destroy most of it, they also burn the temple. And as it burned, the gold and silver ornamentation melted, it seeped between the cracks in the stones. So the Roman soldiers took the temple apart, stone by stone, to get to the gold and silver, fulfilling the prophecy. All that remains of that second temple is the Western Wall, which is known as the Wailing Wall. And we have a picture of that to show you what that is. So with Jerusalem and the temple destroyed, the Jewish national religious centers are gone. And basically, this ends the Jewish national state. 
So the Jewish people are scattered in the diaspora, and they're gone. They're scattered for nearly 1,900 years. That's nearly two millennia, and they do not return until after World War II in 1948, and that is when the nation of Israel is reestablished. So we're living in a fairly significant time to be within a hundred years of that very significant reestablishment of this Jewish state and religious center. Right. And so that is why we put that on our timeline. Most of the letters, though, were written before that happened, like Andrew said. So we'll get back to those now. Right. And let me just ask you another quiz question, because I love them. Paul wrote how many of these letters? Now, if you're sneaky, you can start counting the ones on, the, on that, that shelf. But is it seven? Is it 13? Is it 14? Or is it all of them? Let's see what you have to say. Ah, oh, look at this smart crowd. Look at them. So, so we have kind of a tie between... Oh, oh lots of good results coming in here. 57% of you said 13, and you would be correct. 14, however, has a lot of responses, 24%. And there are many scholars who would agree with you because they would say Paul wrote 14 because he wrote the book of Hebrews. The truth is we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Everybody likes to guess, including us. Ask us. We'll give you our our guess later on who wrote the book of Hebrews. But I don't think it was Paul. I think it was someone else. I think it was a woman. Okay, so let's dive into Paul's letters. Let's take a look. We're going to go with the 13 because we don't know about Hebrews. Nine of those were to churches and four were to individuals. So the nine churches, those were Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. The four individuals, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. So here's how I remember these books. Okay, this is the Andrew Burchett memory, memory challenge. You've got three long books that are really hard to get to through. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. They're long. They come first. And then you've got go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right, Mary? Glad I'm not the only one who, who remembers it that way. Because those little letters, oftentimes, they were written around the same time. A lot of the same content. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Then there's the T section. We have First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. By the way, different Titus than is destroying the temple yes. in AD 70. Yes. And finally, just one little guy who's so small. He's so short. Why? Because his book is only one page long. That's Philemon. That's how I remember the New Testament and so letters. For, for the grouping in the order, so Paul's letters are arranged, I said first with those churches, and they are arranged longest to shortest, not chronologically. So why we have a, a resource on our website that goes over the chronological order if you want that. Then the individuals are also arranged in that same way, longest to shortest. They are all named after Paul's recipients the ones that he is writing them to. And for the letters that are written to the churches, they are mostly written to specific churches. Almost all of them are specific churches with the exception of, the, of Galatians because that is written to a region of churches, Galatia. Interesting. So one more quiz question because I love them. Jesus had two half-brothers, meaning that they were born to Joseph and Mary. They would be half-brothers because Jesus did not share a father. He had the Holy Spirit, and the Heavenly Father. So, two half-brothers who wrote books in the Bible. What are their names? Is it Joseph and John? Is it Simon and Andrew? Is it James and John? Or is it James and Jude? Oh, smart crowd. They're going to get it. Mostly going to get it. So, 47% of you said James and Jude, and you would be correct. 35% of you said James and John. Those are two of the disciples. They are brothers. That's right. Yeah, James and John, they yes, are brothers. Yes, Sorry, yes, just took me a second. Yes. <laughs> but they, they, they did not, they are not the right ones. Right. And we'll tell you John, why in a minute. But not, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the order of the general letters. These letters are also arranged for the most part, um, longest to shortest, and they are grouped by author. So in the general letters, we have that one that is written to the Hebrews. Again, don't know who the author is for that. And then the seven that are written by the authors that we do know, James, Peter, who wrote two of them, John, who wrote three, and Jude. 
And where Paul's letters were to the specific churches, the general letters were written to all Christians. They were meant to be circulated far and wide throughout different Christian communities. And the, the general letters are all named after the person who wrote it other than Hebrews. So we're going to show you a Bible project video that I think really helps you to nutshell the letters because good news, we're not going through all 21 books today. You're going to make it to lunch. So let's take a look at the screen. Near the end of the Bible are 21 letters written to communities of Jesus' followers throughout the ancient Roman Empire. Letters? Like I'm reading someone's mail. Yeah. The letters are written by the apostles, that is, the people that Jesus appointed to spread the good news about his kingdom. And they wrote to Jesus' followers living in different cities around the Roman world. These letters were all written in a style called prose discourse. Now, if I'm reading a letter that wasn't written to me, then there's likely a lot of background information that's assumed but not mentioned. Yeah, exactly. And the letters in the Bible are no different. Okay, so let's talk about how to read the New Testament letters in historical context. So there are three levels of historical context to keep in mind when reading the New Testament letters. The first is how all the letters fit into the larger storyline of the scriptures. Right, so this story begins with God creating humanity as his partners to rule creation with him. But we choose to rule on our own terms, leading to violence, exile, and death. But God promises a guy named Abraham that life and blessing will spread to all nations through him and his descendants to renew God's vision for humanity. And Jesus said he came to bring that promise to its fulfillment through his life, death, and resurrection. Right, and so the apostles saw themselves as heralds announcing the arrival of God's kingdom in Jesus. Like the apostle Paul. When he wrote to the house churches in Rome about the good news, he said his job was to summon people of all nations to give their allegiance to Jesus, the exalted king of the world. That's a bold thing to say to people living in the capital city of the Roman Empire whose allegiance is supposed to be to Caesar. Yeah, and that actually brings us to the second important context for understanding the New Testament letters, the culture of the Roman Empire in the first century. So Rome ruled all of these territories around the Mediterranean Sea. And they built their empire by conquering and enslaving their enemies and then imposing heavy taxes. The emperor and his small circle controlled all of the power and wealth, and they knew how to deal with people who threatened the social order. Most people lived without much money or stability. And Roman culture had a very clear hierarchy. Men from important families with money and education could move ahead in society. But women, slaves, children, and the poor were always at a disadvantage and treated as inferior. Yet, in a community of people who followed Jesus, everyone was treated with love and equal dignity. Yeah, in Roman life, it was unheard of for people of high status to associate with people below them. But the apostles said that through Jesus, God had given the gift of his love to everyone without regard to their status. So in that context, these letters were countercultural and they broke down barriers between people. Exactly. And so that brings us to the last level of context, the situational context of each letter. You mean the specific issues in the church of a city that prompted the writing of the letter in the first place? Yeah, like Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. It's tempting to read this letter and focus on all the important theology and then overlook why he wrote this letter. Why did he write it? Well, towards the end, he talks about how Jewish food laws and sacred days have become controversial between Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. Which was creating divisions in the church. And if you read carefully, you can see that some Christians with higher social status were treating Jewish followers of Jesus with contempt. And Jewish Christians were returning favor, condemning the non-Jews as second-rate followers of Jesus. Exactly. And so all of the ideas and theology in the first part of the letter were crafted to address those very problems. Paul acknowledges that the Roman Christians have big differences in culture, theology, and social status, but he wants them to realize that they are unified by their faith in Jesus, who is the real center of their church. Okay, great. But if that letter was written to someone else, then what should I get out of it? I mean, I don't live in ancient Rome. Well, in these letters, we see the apostles challenging and transforming every part of their first century culture and life 
with the good news about King Jesus. And by watching them, we gain wisdom about how that same good news can transform our culture as well. Now, there's one more helpful step to take in reading the New Testament letters, and that's learning how to follow the flow of thought from the letter's beginning all the way to its end. And that's what we'll look at next. Near the end of the Bible are 21 letters from leaders of the early Jesus movement. They were written to small church communities in cities throughout the Roman world. Now, writing letters took a lot of money and effort in the ancient world, and so each one was crafted carefully from beginning to end. And that means we should read them as one whole literary work. So let's talk about how to read New Testament letters in their literary context. Of all the early Christian leaders, the Apostle Paul wrote the most letters. We have 13 in the New Testament. I often imagine him alone in his study, writing long theological essays. But Paul didn't work or write alone. In fact, he often names people from his team who helped him produce the letters. Oh, right, like Timothy or Silas. Yeah, Paul was constantly with his missionary teammates, on the road working out ideas as they talked and debated and taught together. And Paul would have collected speeches, poems, and prayers in notebooks. Like the ones he mentions in his second letter to Timothy. Right, and so Paul would get the right teammates in a room and start pulling together old and new material. Then they would hire a professional scribe and start creating drafts until they were satisfied with how it worked together as one whole. Then mail it off. Yeah, the letter would be given to a trusted teammate who would also be given instructions on how to perform it before the recipients. Perform it like read it aloud? Yeah, most people back then didn't read. And so Paul mentions this more than once in his letters that they were designed to be heard, which is why they often sound like written speeches. So it's important for us to read and listen to these letters from beginning to end too, so we can appreciate how each part contributes to the whole. Exactly. Now, every culture has its own practice for how to organize a letter. And in the first century, there was a standard format. You have the opening, which names the author and then the receiver. Then a prayer of thanks or a greeting. Then comes the body of the letter. This part is the main reason for writing in the first place, what the receiver is supposed to know or do something about. Right. And then comes the conclusion, which could have greetings, travel plans, a final request, or a prayer. So it's helpful to see how a New Testament letter breaks down into these parts. Right. All right. So now you are schooled on the letters. And what's amazing to me is that the Holy Spirit inspired these letters. And yet, he didn't inspire just one person. There was a whole team oftentimes contributing. And can you imagine how exciting that would be to write one of these letters and put these things together knowing that the Holy Spirit is empowering you to write it? I'm just imagining how amazing that would have been to be in the room. I know, me too. So before we dive into how we're going to study these, let's talk about who wrote them. But keep in mind that there's many more than you're just picturing just that one author name. So of the 21 letters, there really are only six main authors other than the teammates, of course. So you have Paul doing 13 of them. So definitely the most. Then you have two brothers, right? You have James and Jude. You have two disciples, Peter and John, and then whoever wrote Hebrews. So it's the how of reading the letter. You want to know who wrote the letter. You want to know who they wrote it to, but you also want to consider those four layers of context that the video just went over. So that is your biblical context, your cultural, your situational, and your literary. So for your biblical context, we always want to stop not just for the letters, but really for every book of the book, uh, every book of the Bible that we are reading. You want to stop and go, where does it fall in the whole story of the Bible? So when you consider the letters, you go, okay, the Old Testament was pointing all along to Jesus. Jesus has now come. He's been crucified, resurrected. The Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost. The new church has started. So these letters are being written to the new church. And it's before Jesus has come again. So actually, we're living in that same time period that these letters were written just thousand years, a couple thousand years later. Then you want to consider the biblical, uh, sorry, the cultural context, and that is the ethnic and the geographical uh, nuances. So we really need to, to realize that these letters were written 2,000 years ago. 
we are not the original audience, the original recipients. So there's going to be a great deal of cultural differences um, with us as the modern readers as those original recipients. However, they still are super important to read. So I don't want that to take That's away right. from it. They, we can get so much from it. Like I said, we can learn how to apply these same concepts in our modern day. We just want to keep that original audience in mind. Then there's the situational context. So that's the personal stuff going on and the stuff going on in the church. We find that by reading Acts, what was going on in those original visits that sets up that relationship and what the message of the letters is. But also you get a lot of situational context just by reading through the letter itself. You can be a detective as you're reading and looking for those clues. Final layer of context is the literary context itself. What type of literature are we reading here? Well, in the first part of the New Testament, with the Gospels and Acts, those are all narrative. The whole rest of the New Testament are all letters. And so just like the letter that Andrew read, we, you read a letter in its entirety, all right? You don't want to just take a chapter or a section or a line out without considering the whole letter, or you very well could take it out of context. So we encourage you to read the whole thing. Otherwise, someone would run out and get three dogs knowing and thinking that somehow they had to imitate our lives with three dogs in our house. And it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> now, so let's talk about a, the structure of a letter, right? So it begins just like my letter to Joseph and every letter that we find in the, in the New Testament, it actually has a very predictable structure. It starts with greetings of some kind. Oftentimes in the Bible, there's a prayer of thanks. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for what you've done in my life and how God's using you and how loved you are. And then oftentimes it goes into a teaching time where it's explaining concepts about who God is, who we are, and how we relate to him. What about this new covenant? How do we live it out? How do we understand now the Holy Spirit living inside us? And what might this look like? And so the concepts are taught. The theology is taught. So let's take, let's say Ephesians. Ephesians 1 through 3, you read it, and it's all about your identity in Christ. You get to chapter 4, and it's like it changes in its tone, and now it's about applying, living out that identity in Christ for four, chapters four, five, and six, the end of the book. And so that's oftentimes how Paul and the other writers would structure their books. And then they would close. They would have some kind of personal greeting or travel plans. <clears throat> and sometimes these are actually very tender moments. And it's interesting for me, as I read the letters out loud, I get much more out, out of them than as I try to study them like they're a textbook. These are not textbooks to study. They are letters from people to other people, and they should be read as such. So we're going to go over the reasons that the letters were written and also some of the main themes. Like we said, we are not going to do all 21, but you're thankful for that. But for those of you who want a summary of the letters, we do have a resource online under uh, Books of the Bible. It's a short summary, actually, of all 66 books are on there. Great. So what are some of the reasons the letters are written? Well, first of all, to give advice. You have young pastors like Timothy who really need help. And so Paul is writing these, book, these books and saying, hey, this is how you do what you do as a young pastor. There's correction. Hey, I've heard this is going on in your church. Stop it. Right? There's correction. Sometimes it's a hard word that, that the writer is giving. Oftentimes it's encouragement. Hang in there. It's been hard, but you know what? There is hope. Hope does not disappoint, Paul says in Romans 5.5, 5, because God has poured his love through us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Answering questions. Oftentimes in the letters, they're saying, now, you were wondering about this. You're wondering about the second coming of Jesus. Let me tell you about that. Or answering or addressing questions, same thing. And then addressing problems in the church. Hey, I heard that these two ladies aren't, gonna get al aren't getting along. This is what needs to happen. Sometimes it's very, very tangible in that way. So these are some of the reasons why the letters were written. And then we talked about how there's themes related to concepts and related to applications. So for the ones relating to concepts, these are really trying to address what the gospel is. And so you see things about foundational truths related to Jesus. Also, new covenant versus old covenant. We went into that pretty extensively last week. These letters address that over and over. And specifically, they go into things like, we're justified through faith, through our faith in Christ. It is now about grace versus the law. 
what was the purpose of the law? The law was our guardian until Christ came. And Gentiles do not have to become Jewish in order to become Christians. Identity in Christ, which Andrew mentioned, Holy Spirit and Christ's second coming. So lots of theological themes in the letters that are so rich. By the way, next week, I get to mostly fly solo and talk about revelation and end things. So you don't want to miss next week. Lastly, there is an application aspect to much of these letters. How, how do you know how to live out this gospel, this good news? And so whether it's um, avoiding things like idolatry or pet prejudice or divisions or embracing holiness or humility or unity and love and persevering through hardship and persecution, understanding the spiritual gifts, how they work and how they function, church function, how the church should function in an orderly manner, and qualifications of leaders. What kinds of qualifications would leaders need to have? And so uh, just highlighting a couple things here, issues of holiness are something that in the letters I gravitate toward. Why? Because there is much to say under this new covenant about how we live out our sexuality, how we interact with things like alcohol, other things that are pervasive in our culture, which we need to understand and get God's heart on. Those things are timeless truths. We're always looking for those timeless truths that we can apply in our lives today. And they're very much there in issues of living for Jesus and living set apart for him. And I think that really stands out to me in the letters is unity. The authors of the letters go after this over and over again. It is so important to them that this new multi-ethnic family learns how to follow King Jesus together. And I really believe that's something that we can still grab onto and apply today. If I had to summarize the, the letters simply, I would say that the key concept is that Jesus Christ is the foundation of everything, and the key application is that we are to love one another with his love. Yeah, one verse that actually nutshells that beautifully. It's one verse, if you were going to learn one verse in the New Testament, this one might be the one, and that is 1 John three twenty three. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. So what do we see here? Two things. The first, we have to trust our life to Jesus. We have to surrender to him. This is oftentimes what's called salvation. I, took, I called it conversion last week. It's that moment, that point in time where you surrender to God and you say, yes, I will make you the boss of my life. Here's the keys to my life. You drive. I'm willing to follow you as my rabbi, my teacher, for the end to the ends of the earth. And so that's the first thing that we're called to. We've got to believe, that means trust in the name of the Son, of God's Son, Jesus Christ. But secondly, with this new, that's the new covenant, comes his command, Jesus' command to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know. You're my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, Loving one another is actually the authenticating mark of a true Christian. If you were to see someone who didn't have love, 1 John talks about all, all about this. Say, no, that's not a Jesus follower because Jesus followers are always marked by love. Does it mean sometimes we mess up and, and we lack love? Absolutely. But the good news is, once again, in the letters in Romans 5.5, 5, hope does not disappoint that the Holy Spirit, God, has, God the Father has poured out his love through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have all the love we need to be able to love others because he pours it in and through us. So the good news is you don't have to work harder. In fact, that is not part of the gospel. There is nothing you can do. There's nothing you can clap for that if you want to. There's, there's nothing you can do to earn or deserve it. There's nothing you could do to get God to love you anymore because he's already crazy about you. And he has all the love you need if you're willing to position yourself in a place to receive the love that he has so that you can give it to others. Because we're not called to be uh, like a, 
like a pond of water, if you think about the Holy Spirit being like water, where it just kind of just settles and it becomes stagnant. We're supposed to be like a stream or streams of living water flowing through us. And that's actually, they call it living water. It's not dead water because things are flowing through. That's God's intent for us. And so uh, as I position myself, I remember whole chapters like First Corinthians 13 that talks about love. And perhaps you've heard these verses at, at weddings and things like that, but they're incredibly important because they say things like, hey, if you don't have love, you are like a crashing cymbal and you are not on the beat. And it is not a good rock and roll song. It is just obnoxious right? And if you don't have love, even if you're, you're, you're using the power of the Holy Spirit to practice spiritual gifts, if you're not doing it in a loving way, it means nothing. Even if you give everything away, but you don't have love, it means nothing. It doesn't matter what you do. You can do all the right things without love. It doesn't, it doesn't reflect the kingdom of God. So good news. This is how simple it is. Two things. This is his command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. And it's not just John who talks about this. All throughout the general letters and Paul's letters, this comes up. This loving one another is the authenticating mark of this new covenant that we've entered into. And the key thing that we need to take away. Hey, let's clap for that. That's good news, isn't it? Awesome. So on a serious note, unfortunately, the letters have been used by Christians over the centuries to argue with one another about who's right and who's wrong, and many church divisions have happened because of this. But these ancient forms of correspondence were not written to divide the church. They were written to unify it in love. So I would challenge you and encourage you that when you read the letters, that you would be seeking the Holy Spirit for discernment and that he, that he would reveal to you what are the foundational gospel truths that you need to stand by no matter what, and what are the debatable issues that should be discussed but not used to divide. So really seeking the foundational truths versus the debatable issues when you read. As one of the pastors who leads our pastors network in Chico, we use 1 John 3.23 as our litmus test, if you will. It's a scientific term to see if people fit within our fellowship. They have to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. They have to believe that you must trust Jesus to be saved, if you will. And then we have to all agree that loving one another is the command of Jesus. Those two things. And oftentimes, we don't think that we could have relationship or fellowship with someone if they differ on how you get baptized or whether they believe in the spiritual gifts or, or when they think Jesus is coming back. And the truth is, we've got this beautiful fellowship of pastors that get together. We don't agree on any of those things, but we agree on who Jesus is, why he came, what he offers, and the fact is that there is no way to get to the Father except through him. So that means that it, the ability to love others is very broad and very beautiful in the body of Christ. And that's really good news. Focusing on those foundational truths being what leads to salvation. So I always want to leave you with challenges and resources. So again, I hope you really are getting these, what we're challenging you to with memory. And we're wrapping up the series. So if you don't have these down, work on them. The genres, the kingdoms, the timeline events, the books of the Bible. And I'm still looking for a volunteer, remember, for the timeline events for next week. So if you want to do that and be brave like Ben and Bree, please uh, come and see me afterwards. Remember, there is a prize. There are resources on our website to help you with all of this. We have a picture of the bookshelf so that you can learn your books of the Bible. You can review your genres. We have the kingdoms list. And we also have the timeline both in the graphic form and also a written list, whatever way helps you uh, remember that. So you have the tools there. And then we also have a couple of resources from this week alone. Like we mentioned, we put Paul's missionary journeys on there. And then we have one that's called Epistles Resource. And that is the chronology of the letters for those of you who want to peek at that. That you can find on our website under the Sunday morning handouts next to today's handout. 
Great. If you could stand, I want to read just a couple of my favorite verses from all the letters. And probably if I could only have a few verses, this might be the, the part that I tore out and put in my pocket um, because I think that they're so powerful. And uh, while I'm reading these, if the prayer teams could come forward, uh, we just would love to pray for you. And specifically, um, I really want the prayer team to pray for you for two reasons. One, I want the prayer team to be asking, Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to say to this person and deliver any words that they get? All right, so prayer team, that's, that's first of all directive number one. Listen to what the Holy Spirit says and say, this is what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now. Number two, if you want to come and be filled with the Holy Spirit, and just surrender more, more room, more space. Say, yes, I want to I I get filled up. Come and receive. And they would, we would love to pray for those two things or, and anything that you want prayer for if you've got something going on in your life. But these verses are first from 1 Thessalonians 5. And they're so simple. They say, be joyful always. There's the choice to move into joy, a choice to step toward joy and and thanksgiving. Pray continually, it says. In other words, this conversation with God doesn't stop. It just continues all throughout every day, every moment. God, this is what I need. This is what I need. I just saw a fire engine go, Lord, help that person who's on the other end. Give thanks in all circumstances. At one of our Thanksgiving celebrations this week, I was asked, what are you thankful for? And I said, I'm thankful that not everything in my life is easy. Why? Because the way that I grow and probably the way that you grow most is when you face difficulty, perseverance, in those moments, you grow most. I'm thankful that it wasn't, that everything wasn't easy this last year because it caused me to grow. Can you enter into Thanksgiving in every circumstance? That's a growth edge for all of us. But I believe that that joyful part is a byproduct of us choosing into Thanksgiving. You always get the byproduct of joy out of Thanksgiving. And then he ends with this, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Everybody says, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for your life? Do this. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And then don't put out the Holy Spirit's fire. Don't do not treat prophecies with contempt. You're going to come down to the front and someone's going to give you a word. Test it. That's what the Bible says. But don't refuse it in contempt. Test everything it says right here in this verse. Hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil, and here's the blessing to send you away. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your Holy Spirit, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Lord, bless this church family meeting here and far and wide on the stream right now in the Father, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come down for prayer, and we will see you next week for Revelation!